Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Learning Out Loud. This is Chapin. Today we have a very special guest on the podcast. It's Professor Chip Ranzler, who I was lucky enough to have as a professor last semester for his Intro to Entrepreneurship class. Marley's also taken that class and served as a TA for that class. And Justin, Marley, and I have had several very long, interesting conversations with Professor Ranzler about a variety of subjects, including psychology, philosophy, science, and entrepreneurship. This is one of those conversations that we would love to share with you guys. Professor Lorenzo has had a very interesting path to success in a variety of industries, and most recently he served as a professor at the McIntyre School of Commerce. And so I'm going to read you a little blurb off their website, and then we'll get right into the episode. Professor Ranzler has been an expert on entrepreneurship, managing the startup enterprise, marketing, business development, and corporate innovation for over 15 years. He served as CEO, Chief Strategy Officer, CFO, COO, Founder, Executive Director, Strategy Consultant, and as an angel investor for a variety of companies in a variety of industries. And he's co-taught the Capstone Entrepreneurship course at the McIntyre School since 2017, and also teaches marketing at the UVA Darden School of Business. Professor Ranzler was the co-founder of Husk Power Systems, the world's largest distributed renewable energy startup based in Bihar, India, and Fort Collins, Colorado. He was also named an Aspen Institute Fellow, PopTech Fellow, and was Social Entrepreneur of the Year in both the United States and in India. Hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Thanks for listening. Start again, Chapin. Yeah, so Sorry, so yeah. So it's called Learning Out Loud, yeah. and basically it's just a way to publicize our learning process about okay. topics or ideas that are interesting to us that generally aren't within the confines of, you know, a semester-long course. Okay, or, why do you need to publish it? Um, Isn't learning just a benefit to itself? Yeah, I mean, so I think part of it is documenting for ourselves so we can have it looking back. And then the other thing is that we want to build a community around these ideas in terms of both guests and if there are other people our age who are listening and are interested in this sort of thing, I think that that could be a powerful motivator mm-hmm. to build an audience for whatever else we want to do. So what do you want to learn about? Um, so I don't know, I think the main things, and feel free to add on, would yeah. be like, so self-development or something that we're all interested in, leadership. Like, you know, entrepreneurship. Yeah. 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 Okay. I was just gonna say, like, self development in terms of like all the different areas, like, right? Financially, mentally, physically, mm-hmm. emotionally, whatever. You picked the wrong person for all of these. <laughs> to talk to. But. Not just talking about self development, though. Yeah. Like, okay. we're all very interested <coughs> in business and entrepreneurship. So okay. That's where. Just different industries people yeah. come from. Maybe you yeah. didn't hear about that in the classroom as much. Great. So. I think something we're also interested in is kind of the the winding road that people take to the positions yeah. that they're in. Um, because I think that those stories are going to look different for people in your generation than our generation. And then there are definitely ways to, you know, it's one way to learn lessons is by trial and error. And one way is by listening to people who yeah. have gone through those and things. And also just we want to apply the successes that people tell us about and also like the mistakes that they tell us about yeah. and learn from those. And you were asking like learning's a personal thing. Yeah, sure. But like obviously so many people could benefit from it. Right. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, happy, happy to help. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so, you for your time. Yeah. Thank you. So for each person, like I think that we're gonna record an intro, like separate from okay. this interaction. So if it's okay with you, we'll probably just say like something similar to what's like on McIntyre. Oh, for me? Yeah. I'm missing some children on there and stuff, but whatever. Do you want us to? Your <laughs> I have two kids. Not one kid that hasn't been updated. Um, what's your other kid's name? We know uh, we got Hawks. Hawks and then Luddy. Okay. L-O-T-T-E. Okay. 
But we don't really call her that. We call her Butterbane. I, I was like, what is her name? Because <laughs> <laughs> we call her Butterbane. I've been doing it for three years straight. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to get off of that. She was in high school or middle school. Or anyway. Yes. Uh, besides that, it's fine. Uh, I'm not with Hack Seville. Now it's called Forge. Forge, yeah. Oh, I'm still on the board there. So if that, I don't know if that's on there. We, we were there a couple weeks ago and we saw a, uh, a, sword, a surge protector that said Ransler on it. So you, you're, you left your <laughs> mark there. there. I think it's a room. Yeah. It's the name. It's, they've got a room called yeah. But it, oh, this, really? that surge protector goes in that room. Right. Gotcha. That's, or or no, maybe it's a bathroom or a room closet. Or, yeah. Or it's like a, yeah, I don't know. Water cooler. The toilet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess can you just start off? talking a little bit about the different companies that you've yourself started or oh been boy. a part of. Or, <laughs> I feel like that's a good opening. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's a, uh, maybe interesting question. Uh, first first time I did business, uh, I was trading a, uh, a model train set with my friends when I was like nine. My friend Miller, and they screwed me big time. And I lost a lot of money on that. <laughs> And then after that, I skipped uh, the middle of college. Uh, we started we started a, a book exchange while we were in school that we thought we might do professionally. It's called whohawk.com. So it was like a, um, you know, the bookstore sucks. I think it's still universal 23 years later mm-hmm. uh, than when we were doing it. Maybe 24 years later. It was crazy how long ago. Where you would, you know, buy a book for school, and it's expensive. And then when you try to sell it back, you've literally not even touched it because you're not really even doing any work in your classes. They sell it, and they give you, like, nothing back. You're like, this is the same book. So we started a book exchange so students could do that with each other instead of having to do that through the bookstore. So that we did that. We thought we might actually have it as a business. We won some business plan competitions with that. Um, and we actually gave it to the school. We gave it to the student council because we got, like, 4,000 people to use it within a couple of weeks, which was a big – that's why in, in class with you all, you all, I'm like, hey, you got 20 people to join? I got 4,000 in two weeks. Good luck. You know, I'm not, not saying I'm so great. It was just more like, that's what I remember. It's, right. it's possible. Yeah. You know? um, and then and then we started a software company right out of school called Topic Solutions, which sounds like a hair care product that I need for my back of my head back here. <laughs> uh, but it is not. It was a email software company that started. And so I, I did not actually, I did not come up with that idea. Okay. I actually didn't come up with the idea for whohawk.com as like my best friend at the time. Now my brother-in-law. Uh, who thought of that idea. And then someone approached um, me, uh, actually Professor, Professor Nelson here at the comm school, someone it was an entrepreneur from Northern Virginia, approached him and said, I have an idea, I'd like to start a business with some smart college students. And then I had done that hoo-hawk project, and Professor Nelson said, hey, dude named Art Conroy, you should talk to Chip Ransler. He seems to be with it. Um, and then uh, we started a company out of that. And that was doing email personalization in like 2000, which is, was not very, you know, people didn't, like, huh, email? What is email? And you're going to personalize it? So uh, we turned it into a company called Topic Solutions over time, and it became like this old, like, like you know, it'd be like MailChimp mm-hmm. or Clavio. So like, there's a lot of these. And if we had kept doing it, we would be retired because uh, we were just kept changing too early. We kept pivoting t- too, too often. Mm-hmm. And not thinking that we were onto something, which we actually were. Uh, it's a good lesson for just, it's always, oftentimes, just right around the corner. Just got to keep going a little longer. Very hard tension, though. How long do I be <clears throat> diligent and persevere? How long do I just, should I give up because I'm in the wrong direction? I don't know. Uh, so we did that for like five years. 
uh, and, and Capchain became a content management platform for like online, uh, you know, catalogs and news sites. Wait, and this all was kind of stuff. after you graduated? After we graduated, okay. yeah, we started that like the day, like we didn't take jobs. Like six of us started this company. Wow. Five from UVA, like two engineering school kids, three college class, you know, class kids. Um, all started this. But it was also 2001 when the economy was in the toilet, so it wasn't like we, you know, had a lot of other options. I was an archaeology major in school, so I had no job prospects at all. Um, and then was offered to go to the comp school, but decided not to for some reason. Uh, you know. So, so were you? How are you supporting yourself? Were you all living together? What was we did. Like? We all so, did. We were oh, like, yeah, like like a big band of yeah, like ruffians. Yeah, mm-hmm. we all lived in the same house. Um, here or in DC or no, all here. Yeah, we just we like moved, you know, a few blocks mm-hmm. and all lived in the same place. And uh, we did that for yeah, at least a year where we all maybe two years where we all like were in the actual same spot together. I mean, maybe not almost everybody. If not, I was like, right. I think it was yeah, one, two, yeah, it was like five or six of us were all, and then one extra person were all sleeping, you know, sleeping in, hanging out in the same spot. And then go into an office on Ellywood Avenue, where Forge is. Oh, okay. Next, next to that, seven Ellywood or nine Ellywood. I can't remember which. I think it's. I don't know. I'm getting old. That that we we had the top two floors of that building, were our office. Nice. And then eventually we bought the house. You know where Kuma is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Japanese. Place. I was gonna say it sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, next to Skuma. <laughs> right. Wait, are you serious? Yeah. No, like that that house, the one that's right next to it. That's like a like an Asian joint. Okay. Yeah, that's what we, we bought that house eventually, and then we had our office in there. Uh, but that was a huge real estate debacle. But uh, so we did that for like five or six years. Okay. And then um, after that, sorry, this, is this what I'm supposed to be saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. You feel uh, after, like. after after that, we I went to um, uh, yeah that company just didn't work out. It was sort of a bummer. We were just dumb. Why dumb. Why didn't it work out? What was uh, we that's why we didn't realize we were always like right around the corner. We right. just kept didn't keep doing it, mm-hmm. and like a lot of times at the very beginning, the company you just don't realize it's going to take a while to get going if you're really trying to help people change their behaviors big time. You don't, if they don't understand the technology, I'll say one of the other things we didn't actually do very well is we went for people. You will probably have in your head when you want to start something. It's like oh, if I can, I'm going to start with the easiest people because if I can start with them then I'll work my way up once we get credentialed, you know, which is very, which is a very common way to think. Um, and those people who are young, like really those, those, those businesses or well, we, we work with the alumni association at UVA. The people who do that, it's just like, I'm just saying, we work with organizations and businesses. Um, the people who are using you don't know what the hell they're doing. They're usually struggling too, and they will need an immense amount of handholding. Versus, like, I just go to if you go to somebody bigger who actually has like a, a marketing department mm-hmm. or a communications or whatever it is, who's like, hey, Chapin's just in charge of email, so he will know what he's doing constantly. He doesn't need a lot of handholding, and he can just use your software the way it's supposed to be used. And da da da. So by going to young, smaller people who are paying us very little and needed a lot of handholding, you just get off on the wrong track. It's yeah. a very common problem. Mailchimp did that, really, but they had zero, almost zero overhead. The guy started it when he was like doing consulting work, and he just kept on adding people over and over and over. And even if they were small, it didn't really matter because it was all automated, and they were paying him very, very little per month. But again, that was like 
right. not that big of a deal because he had almost zero overhead. So they built that company over, you know, it was like started like 2005 or something. Mm-hmm. And so now they've just sold it and it's a big deal and they, yeah, it's worth billions of dollars. But to make a company which is, your people are paying 50 bucks a month, you have to get millions of customers to actually right. make that work. So that means it has to be super easy, but that also means it needs to be like super cheap mm-hmm. to get there. Or you had to get a lot of capital, outside capital. He never got any. So he, they sold, you know, he's selling that company, but he like keeps it all, which is sort of nice. And, and so, so what was your role, uh, you know, of the, the five or six people who were on yeah, that Yeah, I was, I was like biz, business development. That's usually been my role. Mm-hmm. Um, strategy, finance, financing. I did marketing. I did sales. Sort of like, it all. Well, no, I mean, the other guys were doing coding. I was like pretty hard too. But it, we didn't realize that the actual hard part was the marketing part. Right. Mm-hmm. We spent way too much time doing... Um, business planning and coding and not nearly enough time talking to customers because we were nervous because we didn't think we were good enough. Mm-hmm. Right, so same thing. We were going for people who were easy and then we weren't reaching out enough. We, 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 were, we were doing sales calls and stuff, but it was like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, but it was like a, we didn't really realize that it was a sales problem because all the tech stuff you can figure out pretty easily with yeah. available technology, just smashing them together and making them better. But the actual like sales part of like figuring out who our customers were, what exactly they needed, what the right pricing was, all kinds of, that was the actual hard part. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time like writing business plans and raising money when I kind of, I mean, I think I was probably, I mean, we had like three people at some, at some time doing sales with, with us, even in the early days. Um, I was probably the best at it, but I was spending some, too much of my time like doing financing and stuff like that. And we did raise, we laid like a million bucks of friends and family money. Right. Um, which back then was a lot of money. Yeah, that is. Uh, so, but we, you know, and that was over years we did that. But again, it was sort of like, didn't really know, you know, spent too much time developing stuff. Shouldn't have developed anything and sort of until our customers told us what we were mm-hmm. doing was probably right or wrong. And we actually switched, we switched from like internal communications, um, which was sort of like what Slack is. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so we were making Slack at the beginning in 2001, except it was all based on Outlook. So essentially you were getting sorted by all these emails and stuff like that were automatically populating and coming through a different interface based on who and what you were at the company, which is literally exactly what. Yeah, Slack so it's like doing. two things that you were ahead of. So we were, yeah, so we did that first and then we were like, ah, we don't know how to talk to corporate customers because we're all just young. And then the guy who actually had come in and offered to start the company with this guy named Art Conroy. Seemed, he was sort of like a con nanny kind of guy, like we figured out, so we kicked him out of the company. So also, starting with six co-founders, splitting equity equally, um, starting with someone who's like, the, 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 the root of it was sort of like a little bit off, you know, it was a little discolored, uh, like a bad, you know, banana, um, was, took a lot of our time too. Mm-hmm. So when you start something also, starting with too many people, even though they're all smart, there's a lot of meeting you have to do, talking you have to do. It's really hard to like get off the ground. It's just like a committee, you know, versus yeah. like a startup. It's just sort of a painful. And none of us knew any, like what we were doing. None of us knew. So we were all figuring it out. It was sort of messy. Interestingly, as a side note to this, uh, have you heard of the company Clavio? Do you know what that is? I don't think so. So it's a big email software company. Okay, so it does personalized email. Which is like it's like a you know they've raised hundred eight hundred and something million dollars so far, gonna go public this year. Um, they do something very similar to what we did back in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. They started theirs in two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. 
interestingly, they started that company, uh, and it was started by a guy named Ed Hallen, who's very smart, and his brother was the co-founder of our company with me oh. 10 years earlier. <laughs> And he saw how, like what we were doing, and did, I mean, totally did like. Well, I'm not saying he stole our idea by any means. By any <laughs> yeah, we got to put a disclaimer on this yeah. right. episode or something. No, but we, we joke about it. He comes, he speaks in my class, right? So oh, he's, okay. he's 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 done it. But it was just him and his co-founders started their company. Now again, the tech stack was different. Okay. The available uh, technologies that you could use to build off were totally different. Even servers and like, we were still having to like go to our like. We would buy servers and put them somewhere and go visit mm-hmm. them and fix them. Mm-hmm. But you're saying the two-person co-founders... They moved employed. extremely fast. Yeah. So they, all they were focused on was finding a problem, and then they, whatever problem they found, the guy who was the co-founder would code it yeah. really, really quickly. And they went through, like, four or five iterations of potential business ideas and business models in, like, six months, and just over and over and over again. And then they kept... The, the two of them worked on it just the two of them for like two years and they got to where they're getting like a million dollars in annual recurring revenue before they were like bringing anybody else on hmm. they didn't bring any extra money external money on either at the same time right so what they were able to do is retain almost all the ownership now they've raised 800 something million dollars but still have only given up like 20 something percent of their company so he and his co-founder own you know i don't know what it is exactly between let's say Seven, 65 and 80 percent of their company just the two of them and it's probably worth like 10 to 15 billion dollars right Sim- similar idea better timing better you know you know essentially velocity like when we talked about class right we were able to do all these reps really really quickly didn't bring external financing on for much later so they're able to retain a lot of the ownership and flexibility anyways so a lot of lessons, like, you literally just put the two of them right next together and just, like, case yeah, studies really and talk about the comparison. But it's, like, two two brothers, hmm. ten years apart, doing the hmm. same thing. Ben, his other brother, is now a professor at University of Washington. Okay. Very eminent scholar of entrepreneurship from our time together. There we go. Um, so did that, took a break, went to Europe for a couple months by myself. It was, you know, we were just like, what the hell's going on with life when we closed that company? <laughs> um, so I just went hiked in the Alps, familiar. which I would also recommend just hiked, hiked in the Alps That's by myself awesome. for like a month and a half. Probably dangerous, mm-hmm. but also very interesting. But what, what did you learn from that experience? I learned I wanted to be a doctor. And then I didn't, and I, learned <laughs> I didn't want to do that. And I, came, and I was like, no, I can't do that uh, when I got back. Um, I really like, I wanted to like help people. I wanted to like, yeah. like I was just like, this business kind of sucks. So I'm not really that interested in it. Because it didn't seem like we started the the foundation of this other company with the right intentions to me. Like I was like, somebody brought it to me and... Were the I, intentions money? Intentions were like, wow, you can make a lot of money yeah. doing this. I don't really care about email. I don't care about, you know. I'm very interested in like, you know, philosophy and art and, and all kinds of other things besides that. But it was like, eh, like you know, I could go do this and make a lot of money, and I could do all that stuff later. Um, so that was that was sort of what we were focused on, and so I just you know I I, I wasted a lot of time. I didn't really care about it as much, and I wasn't so passionate about just doing the entrepreneurship. I was passionate about doing it, but it was like maybe for like looking cool or being mm-hmm. wealthy, not you know. I was like in a jam band at the same time, and I had a dog, and I was working on a startup. I was like, I got all three things mm-hmm. are required are required to be cool. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so that was a anyway. So we did that. Walked around in, in Europe for a while. Thought I was going to be a doctor. Maybe came back. I was like, No, you can't do that. <laughs> so then applied to Darden Business School. Yeah. Um, and. Um, that I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'll get in or not. But I started helping a, a lady with her 
nonprofit she was working on in the meantime. So she was doing this thing for like alcoholics in like an online recovery stories. Okay. So also something I don't really didn't really understand, didn't have any family history or personal history with at all. But this person needed help and she was like gonna pay me a lot of money to write her because I did get good at doing the things I raising money, writing business plans, financing, all this kind of stuff. So I was helping her do that and she was paying me to do that um, along the way. Uh, and I applied to Darden and then uh, I, I got in, which was cool. And then I don't know if she should publish this. This is bad. This is bad. But I decided I, along the way I got in and then I was like, I'm not going to do this right now. I'm going to keep helping this lady. I think she really needs my help. I'm just, I'll just defer this thing and see if I, I, I'll, yeah, I'll just defer this thing. So I went into the admissions office and I was talked to the lady, Connie. And I said, Connie, I think I'm going to defer. This is a great offer. I really appreciate it, but I want to keep working with this person. And she's like, but she, she like had some papers. She was like, but you got that thing. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Never mind. Okay, see you later. But she's, so she's like, you can't cancel this way. You have to actually defer. You have to send me an email. And then you will, and you have till midnight tonight to do that. And then I'll offer your spot to somebody else. I said, okay, cool. So I go home and uh, check my e my mail, which I hadn't done in quite a while because my girlfriend was coming in from New York City. I was like, I can't look like a complete schlub. And I had a stack of mail that was like this big. <laughs> right, I'm just going to go through all of it, see what it all of it is. And then about this far down, I had this letter from Darden that was like, congratulations, you have been selected for a, essentially a full scholarship to go to Darden as an entrepreneurial scholar. You oh know, my gosh. I mean, it was all, it was all, it wasn't room and board, but it was everything else. Like, wow. so I was like, oh, uh, that changes things a little bit. So, um, I, I, it, it was really based on my entrepreneurial experiences, entrepreneurship sort of like, uh, Batten, uh, scholarship, which is cool, which is a big name at Darden that they give a lot of money to the school. And so I called, you know, somebody else and they're like, you have to, you can't not go to this thing. Just cut, you know, like. That doesn't happen very often. Just like take it as a sign that you should go and do this. Uh, so I, I, I reversed it and said, I don't want to defer. I will join. So I did that uh, starting in 2007. And so how Sorry, old, this is not all my ventures, but that's no, a terrible exhausted. personal it's story exhausted. of, of ineptitude and bad organization. <laughs> but it was like, a, and I had written a, just a, another tip for life. I mean, this is, I think a lot of things I do, even I ride that weird bike. My other car is a Japanese camper van from Kazakhstan. And then we have an old Mercedes convertible, right? That is it's totally in disrepair, which you saw, mm -hmm. right? And then it's a sort of like being like everything is usually a little bit weird and remark and like remarkable, like like it's just being remarkable and like to stand out just a little bit, you know, to not have to do everything that's so funny. But my essays to Darden were totally bonkers compared to I'm sure almost anybody else. What did you write about? I wrote about uh, being a drummer in a jam band, and I wrote about um, uh, like I mean, you know, making a big difference in what we had done and, and, and why we had done entrepreneurship and stuff. So it was very entrepreneurship focused, but still, I'm like, I'm sure they were just like, Jesus, what is this thing, you know? And like, I wrote about playing the drums when I came to UVA too. Really? What's your favorite piece of music? And it was something about Dave Matthews Band and like the drummer, who was amazing. Like I was an idol of mine at the time, but like. These, and then one was about my grandfather turning into an airplane in a garbage dump. Like, that was another one I wrote about. Like, it was like... Totally Wait, sorry, your strange. grandfather turned... It was a weird... It was a weird... <laughs> <one>. <laughs> so my great-grandfather was a very smart man and how he didn't have to go to a nursing home because of the way had this life he'd established and he had friends and family around him. We helped him out and it was... 
I was talking about not relegating, I remember the words, but not relegating them to the trash heap of a nursing home was the words I said. But it was these strange, these strange essays, you know, and they're just like, I guess I'll let this guy, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> you know? So, and then I actually got a master's, I got a, I applied for a master's in architecture too at some point okay. when I decided business was not for me once again. Um, Wait, I, when was this, this was after? after this is way after that. I went to business school. I mean, yeah, there's a whole interlude in there. But like, uh, I'm just saying, like, I wrote my essays for that too. I, like, my portfolio I made for them was totally bonkers. Like, it was. Wait, like, so did you end up getting the masters? I didn't. I just I got into it oh, and okay. then decided not to do it at okay. the last minute. And then I you already, decided business was for you again. I decided I didn't want to do that at that time. Okay. Wait, so, so we can just take a, a step back. What What do you think are the common threads between? Like, thinking about whether business was for you or not, whether archaeology was yeah. for you or not, whether architecture was for you or not, yeah. drumming, doc, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What, are, what are the common threads between those things that appeal to you from an abstract? Well, I think it's always been a tension, which is a very human one, of trying to have a conflict between almost your, like, authentic self and what you were told to do and what you are expected, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, uh, I think probably my authentic self is, like, would be, like, a painter or... I would be like a social practice artist or something crazy. Mm-hmm. I'd be putting big projects together and doing weird stuff. I'd read a lot of books, and I would think about things and then try to like. You'd be Banksy. That's weird, you know. I'm not that. I'm not that clever. But I mean, you know, I do something. Something very different. I mean, I started as a kid who would invent stuff constantly. I was always the one. Uh, I, I write. You know, I remember creating like really good like cartoons. I mean, we did we did cartoons for the deck, the publication here. Is that still here? The Declaration, probably not. It's like Humor Magazine. You, maybe it's the Yellow Journal now. That, I, that I've seen. So yeah. there's one called The Deck back in the day. I used to write articles okay. for them or do cartoons and stuff like that, you know. And so and we always played music and stuff like that, and sort of it's like that, and it was like, oh, but I have to like fulfill this familial thing I have to do. I came in being pre-med. My father was a very successful physician. I'm Charles IV. I'm the last Ransler male in our family. There are no more Ransler's mm. until I had my son just a few years ago, right? So there's a lot of, like, pressure, you know, to, to literally no more, Ran- like, I was the end of the line. You know, so they're like, oh, okay, I have to, like, make sure we're, we're doing things the right mm-hmm. way. And so, kind of, I mean, I, and then I, I was doing all this pre-med stuff, and then all of a sudden took, like, an archaeology course on Greek and Roman art, Etruscan Roman art, A-R-T-H-213, if I recall, and I fell in love with freaking Roman and Etruscan sculpture. I was like, what is this? So I had my brain like completely shifted, and it was like I have to completely think in a different way than I've ever thought before. I became an archaeology major, because that was always like, I love human origins. I even like you know, Jurassic Park. You know, it was like, like as a kid, you're just like, what are, like, I just, I wanted to, I had this love of learning that mm-hmm. I was like, wanted to do in this area. And then it's sort of like, but that confronting reality of what to do with my life sort of like, was a big conflict but when we started this hoo thing for a class back when i was talking about the, and I, I was and i got to like do the i did all the marketing and sort of like the strategy around like how are we going to get the word out right and that's still to this day is like the most fun i've had in any business context because it was like i knew the product the problem really well i knew what would motivate people that were my age i knew it was something that people really react to well and again, we got like 4,000 people to join. So how did you do that? What was, what oh, we were just doing postering and chalking. That, like, and I made all these. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we were. Oh, yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Right. But people <laughs> always discount this. Like, you will be much more effective in the early stages with hand-to-hand combat and just recruiting people who you know to do things with and for you. Um, then you, you will be very surprised by um, 
how how effective you, how, how you still need to do that really you know because it's it really like actually see like what are you really telling me you know it's very very different we're doing tabletop tents at the at the dining hall. I mean, tons of illegal stuff. Everything we put down, we get ripped out. We put tons of stuff like in the bathroom, like pushers in the bathrooms, like taking a dump, check this out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, stuff, like this is before phones. You had to go, I mean, this is when computer labs were really useful. And you had to, like, I would print out fake money that looked like money, except it had whohawk.com. I was like, here, redeem this at whohawk.com for a dollar hmm. off your whatever it is. Plastered them everywhere. I mean, we got, it was so successful that we essentially, Every day after we launched, for uh, you know those two or three weeks until it really started to even out, like the, the website would go down every day because so many people were trying oh to do it over and over and over again. So we're like, okay, we're on, you know, we're on to something. Um, also, during that, we learned how to work with engineering teams because we had never, we didn't, the three of the people who started this, we did not know how to do this, and we somehow convinced our parents to pay some really smart nerds from the e school to code this thing up for us um, and make it work. But then, and then we had to, you know, we had to buy. So we figured out like all, like, oh, this is sort of like a real startup. Um, so the reason I got even got into that was because I just had so much fun, like doing mm. that. But then also it was during the dot com boom, again money. It was like I mean, it, you know, you probably this may be like happened with you all with like crypto or NFTs, where you're like, oh my god, what is happening? Everything's just that's what was happening from like 1995 to like 2001 in the internet space and everybody's getting rich and everybody, you know, everything just makes no sense. But it makes no sense, completely overhyped, but undervalued. You know, mm -hmm. this is a very common cycle that happens. So that was sort of like taking some of those like good, like art, like more like artistic, thoughtful things that I was interested in and then like package it into like this really cool, like marketing thing. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. So it's sort of like, that. that's always been sort of a, like you know the specialty of mine like how do I find people how do I get them interested what's what's gonna thing like what's the thing where it's like a little mind torpedo that goes in your head and unlocks your brain and makes you go oh I should try that hmm. you know that's, that's really fun to me thinking of it yeah. yeah just like but like you have to be sort of like I, it's very reflexive and empathetic what are they thinking of me and yeah. how am I what is Chapin thinking of me right now obviously talking too fast talking too much <laughs> etc but the point being like you know how do you think how are people going to, and then just being excited about being experimental and trying stuff and doing weird, like, just, I guess what's the, th the thread mm -hmm. is being remarkable. Like, what is the remarkable thing that is going to get people, what's going to get people's attention? Because most of it is very, very boring. Like, if you got, you all doing job recruiting and stuff? Um, some, but you know, kind of know how it works, right? You go and you go listen to some person from JP Morgan or whatever it is in a room down the McIntyre and 120 or 123, you walk in there and everybody you're looking at, in the audience, what are they wearing? The same. Blue suit, white shirt, mm -hmm. blank, you know, brown shoes, da da da, right? Literally no one's standing out. Mm -hmm. If you want to get the job, you should show up in a clown suit. Right? How are you gonna how are you gonna stand out? Like how are you how are you gonna ever have a chance to do so if you look and talk? And again, then it gets into the whole elitism, I'm from the right place. I can say I went to the right schools, I went to mm -hmm. the you know, but then that to even get the you know, that will cut through a lot of that, but we're sort of like that's sort of, I mean, it's even more important in some ways these days, but also it's sort of like, it's less acceptable now, yeah. right? I mean, like societally, like, we, I'm not just going to give you the job because you went to Phillips Exeter, right. you know, like, I mean, I'm not going to give you, you know, right. yeah. it's still sort of yeah. like wink, wink, nudge, nudge a little bit, <laughs> but at least it's allowing more space yeah. for other people to get in. So you still have to be able to be, so I think it's the, like, it is interesting, like, what is the, I mean, I, maybe I think about like, what's the art? 
in whatever you're doing? Mm -hmm. What's the thing where you can like push something sort of unique and different into that, whatever it is? Because most people, even if they're not going to give you the job, they just want to talk to you. There's like, what was the what was the thing? I mean, the other thing I think people forget about jobs and everything else is that like humans are hiring other humans. Yeah. So they, the, I mean, you know, they want to hire people who are interesting. They want to talk to and they want to hang out with. And so there is, like, every, you know, you all aren't probably doing a lot of recruiting yet for like investment banking. Like, oh, all they do is they invite all these bros and they go get drunk at Trend and wherever it is. And you're like, oh, that's, that's how you get that job. It's just you are like drinking a lot, hanging out. You know, you might make maybe a little smart, but not really. It doesn't really matter that much because they can teach you most of that stuff. But it is interesting because really they're just trying to say, are you a cultural fit with what, you know, like, yes, that culture is like probably broken and stupid, but you're like, and see why they do it. They're just like, we're going to work like a hundred, I'm going to work with you for like a hundred hours a week. Can I, do I like you at all? Yeah. Can I hang out with you? So essentially that's like sort of what everybody is doing on a massive scale, but they do it in very different ways than that. Hmm. So it's figuring out how to like find your people and find out if you're a cultural fit. And that's a super important thing to do. But, um, Anyways, I think I had a, yeah, I might have lost my train of thought at the very end there talking about frat boys and, and getting drunk, <laughs> but, um, so, but it is sort of this, like, what is, what is the, what is the different way? What's or also, it's like seeing what the hack is. Like, how are you, like, I'm not, like, I'm pretty, I'm fairly smart, but I'm not like, you know, you know, I'm not getting a 1600 on my SAT or whatever, the 2400 or whatever it is, right? I get it well, but not like, there's a difference between that last 5% and me, maybe, you know? So what is the thing I'm going to do to stand out? And thinking through how that works. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So um, anyways, got to business school. Can you pause that for a second? Yeah. Yep. Can you see if Jessica's at numbers like that? Where do we leave off? <laughs> Where did we leave off? So after after I got oh. into business school, within <laughs> within uh, a couple weeks of being in business school, we started our next company, which okay. is essentially this, that that uh, company called Husk Power. Um, so we did that. It's just sort of like I think it's, I talked about this with Chapin, but not about this with you okay. about like really leaving yourself open and doing like mm -hmm. letting random chance yeah. guide your life a little bit, and then being able to like whatever you see it, it's almost like you're almost like you know jump on it. Um, the guy on my learning team uh, named Manoj, who's this Indian dude, who very smart engineer with nine patents to his name. He was he was like sitting next to me, and he was like had known I'd done some entrepreneurial stuff before, and and, and literally this was like I mean we were started school like the twenty something of August, and maybe a week into it, he was like, hey, a buddy, a buddy of mine is has this nonprofit. Where what are you laughing? No, you know, no. Have I done something? No, 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 no. <laughs> What about them? <laughs> uh, so uh, he he was like he just like hey you've done some business stuff you've written some business plan my buddy's starting this nonprofit in India where they like provide power to these people in the villages sort of where we're from and I was like oh that's cool and I started checking it out and um, he was doing it as a as a nonprofit it's called the Samta Samridi Foundation and they had just started the first first plan they just put it in on August fifteenth like a week or two beforehand. And they were like, yeah, it's pretty cool. They use this, they use all this biomass that's so, you know, from the mill, like rice mills in that area. They use all that. They gasify it. They make electricity. They wire up the whole village. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty, pretty freaking cool. And I started doing what I usually do after something like this. And I went home and I was like sitting on my couch and I was like looking through all these like reports that you can put together around like 
how much rice is cultivated all over the world, where are all the electricity problems, like kind of like what you learn at McIntyre, where you're just like, I'm going to do some very basic analysis to see what's possible here. Um, and I was looking and, you know, oh, they make 6.3 million tons of rice in, in Arkansas. That's a lot. But in India, they made 118 million. Right. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a lot. And so you think about how much waste products and created, which is, I was like 40 million tons of this waste, of this stuff, which is like, do you all know that, you'll learn about this on Monday, uh, rice grains, they have a cover, just like corn, mm -hmm. right, they have a cover on them, and they remove that to send it to the market. Whenever you get your Uncle Ben's rice or whatever it is, it's always polished, it's never, but they do that because it's a lot of mass, and it's also a lot of water, and also has the germ in it, so if actually, if it stays on there, it can make the, rot, the rice rot, so they remove all that. Right. And so then they just leave that, and it sits in huge piles in all these villages. And so it's just sitting there rotting, creating methane, which is 21 times worse for the environment than CO2. Those shorter lasting in the atmosphere. People don't say that afterwards. And CO2 just, it lasts a long time as well as it's bad, which is the, which is the real problem. That's why they have the sweater over the earth. Uh, all this to say is that I was like, holy crap, that's a lot. And then I looked at like, and then you looked at where they were, where they were actually farming or cultivating rice the most in India. And it was like right on top of the, the poorest area, which had essentially zero electricity. I was like, oh my gosh. So there's like, you know, 400 plus, I was like 425 million people in India that didn't have access to electricity. And really the only city that had like 24 hour power was Delhi, right? Which is... I mean, talking about a billion people, there's one city that's working, right? And so you're like, wow. Okay. So to me, it was sort of like they were, they were, they were putting together this, like, they had this really interesting technology that's not super duper hard to make, but hard, really hard to operate. And then on top of that, they had all the poor people and all the rice were all in the same spot. Um, I was like, well, let's, let's go. Let's figure this thing out. So, um, so Manoj asked me, I was like, well, I think, you know, I just said to them, I said, y'all are doing this as a nonprofit, it's really nice, but I think what I would do instead was I would do this as a for-profit because this problem is massive. This is just in India. There's other in Southeast Asia, and Africa is a huge problem too. Very unreliable weird there too. And I was like, if y'all want to do this, you need to scale your ambitions to the scale of the problem. Like, and then bring in some people in externally who are going to push it, push us really, really hard. And so essentially that's what venture capital does. So that's, that's like a way where they have extremely unreasonable expectations for how fast you're going to grow and how big you're going to get. So it makes you do very unnatural things, which is sort of, are sort of grotesque to be able to grow as much as you would have to, to be able to be at the scale of a Google or a Facebook or whatever. It's, it's insane. Um, and that's why only a few companies actually work because it's a, it's almost silly how they have to make it grow that way. Um, but so I said, Hey, you all don't have to listen to me yet. Why don't we just do some of these business plan competitions and see if uh, how those go and if they work, we can go in this area. So we ended up starting to apply for these business plan competitions. I wrote, yeah, I kind of did the same thing. Wrote the business plan, did a lot of the financial modeling. Manoj is a very good financial mind too, so he did a lot of that as well. Um, and then started applying to all these business plan competitions, which is another good thing. It's like as a student, you should be doing like every one of these you can. It's free money for the most part. There are a lot of them all over the country. UVA will pay for you to go travel to them usually if you ask them to do so. And your entry fees, if they're required to, they'll pay you back for them, stuff like that. So just to work, nobody knows these things. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, so we started applying to them and we started winning some, like the E-Cup, 
at UVA, um, and we did, uh, you know, like Rice Business Plan Competition, MIT 100K, Dell Social Innovation Competition, Berkeley's competition, like just, so we were flying all over the country doing this as first years. And so we ended up winning, you know, all of UVA stuff, it was like 35 or 40 grand, and then won like second place at the MIT 100K, so we got like another 40 or 50,000 bucks doing that, and got a free lawyer out of that too. Um, then we won the Dell Social Innovation Com Competition, which is another 50,000 bucks that spring. That was pretty cool. Um, and essentially it was like off to the races from then. And so every time we'd make a little bit of money from these competitions, essentially it's all grants. So we just send that to India and then we would give them to, and then they'd make more power plants. And then we had convinced them that they should create like a, a for-profit structure. And that was ext extremely complicated. Just makes me, give me PTSD just thinking about it. <laughs> Delaware C Corporation, com mm. company in India. We had to have an entity in Mauritius to be able to get money. We were getting, we were getting investors from, well, eventually it was like from four or five different continents. We we're trying to put money into this thing. So it gets really complicated um, and expensive. So all this to say is we ended up winning, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars doing that. Put all the money back into the, into the, the company. They would make more plants, which would spin off a whole bunch more good news. And we put that back in the business. The next business plan competition went just back and forth and back and forth. And so we were able to, I mean, essentially we raised like a half million dollars in about a year and something to do that company. Um, and we won like the big global, like the big like global business plan competition, which was sort of cool and crazy. But then we were off to the races and we decided like, hey, we should actually do this thing. We should actually try to, you know. I, I didn't take a job uh, once again. But I had the scholarship, which would allowed me to be able to have it. You know, everybody else was having to pay back loans of fifteen hundred, two thousand bucks, you know, every month. Right? Mm -hmm. and so it was hard to justify that. And I was being paid a whopping twenty five hundred dollars a month to go do this job. Uh, and so we decided to raise money, move to India, go work over there, live there for months, uh, raised a financing round there. Um, a lot of crazy stories from that time. I almost died a couple times. I have asthma. Allergies, allergic asthma, not a good place, rural India, not a good place to go. I'd sleep on the ground and almost get eaten by cobras and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, I think, I think you <laughs> told that story. story. <laughs> Chapin has this coming on Monday. It's a good, it's a good uh, story. Uh, so, uh, so did that, and essentially I, I, we, I stayed long enough to be able to like get them to where they needed to be. I was on the board, I was, I was made a co-founder, I had a pretty good significant equity percentage, which was great. Um, and we had worked on it for two and a half years, like, you know, at that point. Um, but, uh, so I, I stepped away and the company kept just going. So, so that, that was the next thing I, I did. Why'd you step away? Cause I almost died a couple of times. I was like, I can't live here. I oh. can't do this. I'm, I'm, my body is telling me no, like it needs, I need to get out fast. So I, yeah, I, I had a couple of scares where I was just like, I couldn't find medication. I couldn't get better. I went through like four rounds of antibiotics to get the lung infection out and it was, almost miraculous that it was through somebody who was an intern for us that was funded by some other entity who was giving us money. His dad was a cardiologist from London and went to school with a guy who was a cardiologist in this town called Putna, where we were. He wasn't even uh, like an asthma doctor, but yeah. he was like, hey, I think, you know, I went, finally saw him. And then they were, he was like, you know, there's an antibiotic that I've been using around here that seems to be working for people. Whatever it is they're picking up here, this seems to work better than other things. And so he gave me that and it went away. 
and then I went home for Christmas, and I was like, you know, I'm just not going back. This is too intense. I was just completely depleted. Um, and we were working all the time, and we were working, you know, we were traveling, we were going from plant to plant. We were, it was, it was like being in the military, like on an operation, except that there's no army base somewhere <laughs> to support you. It was just like you were on your own. It was very mentally and uh, physically challenging. So it was definitely like sort of like a turning point in my life in a lot of ways. I'm like, came back, I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. It was like, because India is an entire, Right. Where we were was an enti- like a completely different planet than the one we inhabit right now. You know, it was just like a, a very, I mean, it's, it's very eye-opening, very beautiful, and I kind of miss it a lot, but also sort of like, wow, that was so intense and hard. Uh, I don't want to do that again, but I sort of, you know, it's sort of like, again, that tension of like, I want, I would love to do something like that again, but I can't, you know, I can't physically take it. So, um, anyways, came back to the United States, um... Is this, is this, you want more of this stuff? Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask. Go ahead, ask questions. Yeah, please. I've been talking for a long time. Yeah, so I was just going to ask. So, I mean, you you talked about before about, like, um, with some of the other companies, how you didn't love the the mission of Yeah, this one was pretty easy to love the mission. Yeah. I mean, but but really, if I look, if I really self-examined, I was still like, wow, this could be freaking huge. Right. Like, I mean, I expected us to have a multi-billion dollar company that's saving the planet and getting a lot of money. That was like, that was really the pitch. Like, you know, this is the helping people out, making money for investors, and helping the environment. Like, I was like a, how could you go wrong, right. you know? Um, it was a little hard to personally connect with the folks that are having problems because none of them, they didn't even speak Hindi. They spoke Bajpuri, which is a local local language there. And we, you know, we weren't allowed to talk to a lot of people. I mean, so we, again, I mean, I don't know how much to share. It was, it was a little, this was, this was essentially like the poorest part of India. Like, I mean, there are, are, it's scattered, there are poor parts around, but, like, if you look at, like, here are the 31 states of India, something like that, this is the one that's the most backwards. Worst education, worst economy, worst food situation, all that kind of stuff. So we were literally, like, right in the heart of that. That's why we were there, which was amazing. I didn't really understand what that really meant when I went. Um, One of the first places that I went, we had a, we had a, there was, there was a village, the first village that they, um, uh, High, like they lit up was one called Temkua, which literally meant like in the darkness. That's what in the local language meant, in the darkness. The whole area was called Kidnappers University because the local economy was mostly going and stealing people from Delhi, and they were so far on the boonies that they were driving to this place and nobody could find them. Right? Everybody had homemade weapons. When I arrived there the first day, there was a, a police, the police station had been completely burned out. Police cars turned over and charred after they had had a revolt after one of the policemen had decided to shoot someone in town and then essentially all the villagers got together and removed the entire like a vigilante force got and so I was like rolling in like hey everybody <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here so and it was crazy and yeah so it was it was just a really really crazy situation um and very fun and interesting and like probably the weirdest craziest thing I've ever done um but it was I mean like because they all so it's Connecting with these folks, a lot of them looked at me like I was prey, you know, and, and or strange, you know, very, very strange. No one had seen a white person in their entire mm-hmm. life, ever, ever, you know. And, I mean, if you told people, and, and this has changed quite a bit in the last 15 years, but, like, if you, if you, you know, like, if you got, like, right now, they go to find somebody you know from India and ask them, like, hey, have you ever been to Bihar? They're like, why would you go there? 
Like, I've never, what are you talking about? So we were all called like Poggle Gores whenever we, which meant crazy white people. Like, you're, like that's what you, like that's what I was. So they're like, what are you doing? Sort of. It was a very, very interesting, um, very interesting cultural thing. So getting back to, impact was huge. Obviously it was just, you know, philosophically, theoretically, off the charts because it was like every time somebody used our power they didn't they didn't have as many babies anymore because they were had stuff to do at night they could watch cricket matches so they didn't have as many children they didn't beat each other as much they didn't have as much alcoholism like all these things with just a very minor amount of development were amazingly amazing outcomes you can literally put on a spreadsheet like instead of having nine children they have six that saves zillions of lives and because they have a lot of babies also because they lose them so then they have to have more kids because they don't you know, it's and super duper sad. Um, so this, it, it was a little bit less. I mean, but we did. We got to know a lot of the, like young kids who would come to the, you know, and play around the. So there was a lot. It really felt very, very good that we what we were doing. But it wasn't. Um, it was still also like. I mean, it still you felt like we were a little bit like wildcatting for oil in California in like eighteen seventy five. Like it was like kind of crazy. Um, I still feel that way. So. Um, so yeah, it was easier, to, like the impact argument was like, I mean, it was sort of like, it's all layered, mm -hmm. you know, but it wasn't like the thing I, I, I mean, I was sort of like meant to do it, I guess. And like the universal, I, the company could not have worked if I, I was not involved. I was the only person from the West that was involved in this thing. And I really just don't think, I mean, again, my co-founders might argue with me, but it was sort of like this combination of the Eastern and Western mindsets mm -hmm. and, and they, you know, like, Hey, got an MBA, but you're also like a pre-known entity, you've already done other companies, you know, these you have some expertise here, and so if we're giving you money, it's a little bit different than we're just sending it into the middle of India where we don't know what's going to happen to it in a way. And so that has still been the, the, the hard part about the company, is still like it's so crazy and different and, and hard to do that it's still hard to get people to, to take a bet on it. Um, so that was, a lot of what I was doing was cultural translation. It was like strategy and like, I, I kind of think I understand how these rich people from New York City think. Let me help pull this part together. You guys do this part together. And then it's, it was a really good marriage. And it, I sort of took it far enough, I think, that where I didn't have to be as involved once we got it really off the ground and going. Um, but that company's still around. It's a big deal still, which is pretty cool. But I haven't had to do anything with it for quite a while. When you say you took a step back, you you sold your stake and you were no, I didn't. No, I never sold it. I actually they did buy me out of some stuff. I think I'm like the only person that actually made any money from the company. But um, like as from an equity standpoint, no, I'm still a passive investor and a huge, uh, huge fan. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have not had to do anything since 2010 or 2011. Mm -hmm. It's been quite a while. But this is one of those things. These are projects. This is like a multi-decade-long company. And everybody knew it when you got into it. And so when you do things like venture capital, which wants to spend money back in three to five years, really, really hard to find the right partners who are willing to see the vision with you for right. multiple of their venture funds. Because funds are usually 10-year funds, and they don't go much longer than that because the investors want their money back to put it in something else. So it's been a really interesting way to, like, a really interesting experience seeing how we sort of have, like, had to put it all together and the funding types and who and well, like, you know, you've got big international financing organizations or sovereign wealth funds from, you know, Sweden or, you know, stuff like that, or like the royal family from Liechtenstein. And, you know, it's, those are the people who fund this thing. Um, but still, still ongoing and very exciting still. And now it's actually growing a lot faster in Africa than it is in India. It's Nigeria actually has a huge 
problem with this as well. And so they're helping them. Much mostly solar now. It's really changed quite a bit uh, from solar, from rice husks and gasification to a combination of that and a lot of solar and batteries and rice all at the same time. It's, it's a they they become sort of like the leader in the off grid, like it's called mini grids, um, decentralized mini grids in the world, which is pretty cool. So, yes, awesome. So what was the next thing? And then next thing, yeah, next thing was very, very obvious. What you do, you come back, you're doing some soul searching, you, and you actually join the advanced sculpture program at UVA <laughs> to, to, do, to do sculpture because you're like, this has all been crazy. I need to process some stuff. Yeah. Um, so did that, and then also got a job doing create, uh, being like a creative consultant. So talking sort of like what we've talked about before about this is like ideas and seeing how to like connect with people and do something really remarkably different. Um, I was working with a guy who got asked to do a contract that he didn't really want to do. And he was sort of like a very, like a person who is like inspires creativity and like helps people get through barriers and stuff like that. He was like, Hey, this is a really weird one. I think you'd be much better for this than I would. And so that project was redesigning the information architecture on a Virginia class nuclear submarine. So we, so I joined a team of 40 people who were, um, who were helping redesign how information flows on a very large tube underneath the water. So that was kind of crazy. So I was, I was brought on to help break through barriers. They had people from mul like multiple different countries that were like experts, ex-captains, um, boat designers, human factors engineers, people from the military, the administration. Essentially, I and another guy named David Marquet, who's actually sort of famous now. It's a book called "Turn the Book." Yeah, say that name sounds so familiar. Yeah, turn the turn the ship around. He, he's a very very sought after um, speaker about essentially inverting power pyramids in, in, inside of organizations. Because he, he was a he was a very 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 smart boat captain. Uh, who essentially got like the worst, he was like top of his class at the Naval Academy mm -hmm. and then got assigned the worst boat oh, because somebody else yes, quit. Yes, I have heard of this. I mean, you probably see his TED Talk or something. I think I had like a case on him. Oh, okay, cool. I think it was yeah, fascinating, fascinating guy, like a, a, still like a, yeah. a buddy of mine we talked like once Yeah, like he was like the best guy and then he had like the worst people with him and then he had to like figure out. And he was like, and then, yeah. but also they like shifted him to this new boat at the very last minute. Like, so he had no time to prepare. So he was like, well, what do you do if you have no time to prepare and you've got all the worst people? And essentially he said, I'm making zero decisions. You all, you all can come to me and tell me what your intention is to do and I can verify and validate what you're saying, but I, you know more than I do, so you need to make the decisions. Like, you need to figure out what to do and I need to say it's a good idea or not. And so then he turned that into his whole philosophy. And so he and I essentially... After a while, after the, they they just kept having these impasses, impasses, and I, and I was like, look, and they had I you know IDEO, yeah, the yeah. design firm came mm -hmm. in and they like had pitched this, they're gonna come in and help do the redesign and 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 then David and I, Marquet and I were like, we were conspiring. We we're like, I think we could do a better job than IDEO, which is hilarious because they're a very well paid <laughs> consulting firm, uh, and they brought their proposal in, and then David and I brought a second proposal and essentially I, I created a, a new innovation uh, in it, like a, a whole innovation process for the for the entire design of this submarine thing and so they were like yeah okay let's try it so essentially what we did we figured out how to do this really cool design process where essentially we 
I call it the Galapagos machine, which essentially it's like uh, geographic ice, like essentially how how species evolve. I was trying to emulate that because what they really want in the military is like scientific research yeah. that something's going to work. So I was like, well, we have to create our own because there is none. So we have to do what we're going to do so many times in rapid succession that we can get any sort of like statistically meaningful number of reps in that they will believe what, what the outcome is. And so we created this Galapagos machine thing where essentially it was pretty cool. So we got, we got like, um, and how I came up with it, I don't know. I was watching submarine movies and I really like evolution. Those two, three, see those three birds over there? Those are all finches. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all yeah. finches. So those are from those are those are inspired by Charles Darwin and the Galapagos oh, Islands. Okay. Like the finches that essentially found they all find different um, niches. Niche, niches inside of inside of a geographically isolated area, right? And so I was, you know, I was like, how would I create that oh. evolutionary process in a very fast way? So um, so what we did was we got a bunch of people who were actually on the boats, so like captains, and that were ex-captains, that were we got the guys who were the, actually the people who drove the boat, people who were the weapons technicians, the people who, like we got a lot of them together, right? So what we do is we do these multiple, like we had three of these sessions, where essentially we brought them all in and said, hey, we don't know what's wrong with the boat, but you all have to know how to use all the, all the information on this, on the, yeah, essentially in the control room, right? So what are all the problems that you think there are? And they would literally sit down with a piece of paper with a human factor, factors engineer, and they have a, a schematic, and they'd go, well, I can't see this, and I need to do this. So they'd write out all these problems, right? Literally just on a piece of paper. And then we said, okay, great, we're going to go make this virtually for you right now. And so they'd take that, and then like three or four of them would get together. And they were all different. They were all different. Um, they would do it like alone, each of the first part with the paper, and then they would get together, and it'd be like a captain, a first officer, you all following with me what I'm talking about? <laughs> like a weapons officer, all this kind of stuff, stuff, right? And so they would get together and then they would make a virtual creation of all their problems in Second Life. You know Second Life? No. It's like Metaverse. It's like the Metaverse. Like <laughs> they had like a 3D model in Second Life, uh, which was like a, a private version of it, uh, like a 3D model on a computer. And they would tell the guy like, hey, what we need to do, and then we'd have all these things to work with, like tools. And say like, they'd say like, well, move this chair here, then move this over there, da, 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 right? So they'd do that for an hour. And then we said, great, now you're actually, you all are going to go make it physically right now. And so we take them into a room that was shaped just like the control room. And we had all these foam core pieces that they could move around. So they would actually recreate the entire sub inside of the submarine with all the improvements that they had just made. Right? And then they would document them. Then we'd have people who were, we'd have them figure out, like, which, we, we had other captains who would go through, like, people who were, had, had some experience with this, we'd go through and say, like, oh, this is a good idea, this is a bad idea, da 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 And then we had boat designers there, we had all these people there that would essentially come together all at one time, and, and all of them would do stuff like, for example, like, they'd say, like, yeah, when I'm trying to talk to you, I can't hear what you're saying because there's a vent right above my head that no one had ever thought of before. And then the boat designers were there, and they'd go, oh, yeah, we can move that. No big deal. Right, so stuff like that, and it became this, um, so we got, thought of hundreds of ideas in a day and a half, two days. So the second day we really came and did, so we did all the first stuff I said, the first two things, and then the second day they like made it all. And then we did it again. <clears throat> then we did it again, did it again, did it again, like that, over and over and over again. Essentially until there was so much evidence that X prop. So what happened was, I actually thought of it like a pachinko machine. Do you know what a pachinko machine is? You drop a, uh, you drop a uh, ball on the top, it has little teeny, you've probably seen it on The Price is Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
and they have these little bars and like a ball, like like a metal oh, and ball, it goes, and some little oh, yeah. Yeah. and it goes, and essentially over time it creates a bell curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it where it goes is actually fairly random. So essentially, what I was actually trying to do was create so many different. I was trying to see what the bell curve was going to be mm-hmm. by having them repeat it over mm-hmm. and over again and see. Oh, this is the big problem. This is a smaller problem. That sort of thing, right? Yeah. And so then we could be able to go to them and say, here, Navy, this is actually the, what's going on. So that became sort of like this place called Newark, the, this place up in New England. They used that whole thing I created with David as like their new innovation center for a while. Like this is how we're going to do this for a while. And as it's still going now, I'm not sure, but this was like in 2010, 2011. Um, so I did that. And that was that was two days or that was like no, that was like, that was like ten months. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say yeah, you, said you, it was had, like you had to design it. You would right. go to all these meetings, you'd write up reports, you'd do all these kind of things. <laughs> so no, no, but we would do the we would do the uh, the actual work in like right. two day. How did you like it. find all of these? I was gonna ask. Things. And how did you find? Well, how like, find what? The, like, all of these things that you're describing like, and like the right the quote unquote right people to. I don't even know. I feel like these are just such unique. Be strange. So do, do like doing a lot of different stuff. It just uh, like, like I don't know how to say it really, but like you know, I thought about writing a book about this or something. Yeah, it's sort of like, I don't know, but it's I, sort of like, like, like but it, like even just in that one innovation project, it's like I was, it's like okay, I'm gonna watch old war movies, think about evolution, and think about the Price is Right, and that's, <laughs> and that's plus a little idea. Right, and I, I work with a team of architects to actually, like, like do a lot of the work. Like, we created an app around this. We created like a, you know, like created like took the things that they suggested and made three D renderings that look really, really awesome, like an architect would make. And so, I don't, I don't know. It's like a, I think it's being like having sort of like a, a lot of breadth and a lot of curiosity about how things work, and seeing that really universally patterns are are, are everywhere. And you can learn from almost everything. But infusing, but the way that things really get done and are really interesting is when you take mm-hmm. these different pieces and throw them all together. Right. Do you and think that you could too. learn to think like that, though? Or do you think that's just something that, like... No, you could 100% do that. Like, how do you think that you could do that? I mean, I just, I've just been, like, you know, professionally curious since I was young and interested in a lot of different things. But it was sort of like... Um, I, I, I don't really know, I mean, how, you, how it came together, but it's sort of like... Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, the people who inspire me really like, like Marcel Duchamp, like this guy who's a crazy artist. We talked about him in class. I don't know if you remember that. The mm-hmm. guy with the, you know, the, the fountain, right? Yeah. Where you had some good comments about, no, you had some good comments about the... Uh, the logo. That's right, over, yeah. uh, over in Hungary? Mm-hmm. Austria, Austria, yeah, Austria. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever done that before. Mm-hmm. So nice. was, I'm still remembering how it went. Um, but... Uh, Have you read Range by David Epstein? It's over there. That's my favorite book. Oh, wait, it's not Oh, yeah, it is right over there. Way in the book behind that juice holder. Yeah, you've got a lot of good ones. Yeah. Yeah, these were just for various... These are more of the marketing ones. Um, I was, this one came up, I don't know, I saw this somewhere. I was, I was putting this on my list to read. Oh, uh, we saw, we talked about Sit in class, didn't we? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what... Yeah, that's yeah. the book it's for. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. There's also some good videos online. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't, should I tell more people about how to do this? It's, yes. but I don't think people, yes. like, most people are really, uh, don't have, it. like, these problems are really strange, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the same thing with Husk Power. Husk Power, I was like, I would like to create the McDonald's of energy. And that's what I'd pitch to people. The this of that. What's that? The this of that. That's what I guess so. It was more just like a, it was more just like, 
if we could like that was a big vision with house powers like we probably can't all do this alone so if i can create a if i could create a university like a university we put people through that would become franchisees then they would be able to actually do this so we actually created house power university which turned out to be more like a training program for all of our all of our staff that was that was what we ended up doing but um yeah i mean that was another yeah it was like it's just having a lot of weird mental models and being able to like smash things together all the time. I don't know. And just being really interested in doing something remarkable and, and unique. So, so that, yeah, those were, those were like, that was a very, but it's also a pretty contentious process. Like the, the Navy was very dismissive almost of, of mm -hmm. me. They're like, why are we paying this guy? Right. And because like, I have no background. They gave me secret clearance. Wait, <laughs> I just shared some stuff on a Discord recently. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, um, but it was like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's yeah, but they, but it was very frustrating. It was like I like even even after I created this whole program for them, they're still like, do we really need to pay Ransler more to do this? Maybe they, yeah, I, I got I was getting like it was too much money to do this but it was um so it's but still like you know you have to like find that those people who are willing to sort of like take a shot and do something different because most people aren't but how do you do yeah, that how, how do you, do you find, find those people? well i went through this guy named chick thompson who has a book up there called what a great idea and he's like a creative consultant and that was that was he had gotten the contract wait and, and who is who is he's that? a creative consultant so sort how of did from, you find him though he came and gave a talk at darton uh one time and i had heard all the stories and he has the exact same pitch he gives everybody about how he worked for DuPont and he worked for sort of Gore. He worked for you know, Disney. He worked for, he's a cartoon. Like he did all these kind of things. He was just really, really good at thinking out, like had some really crazy ideas. Okay. And so people would hire me and go give talks for 10 or $20,000 a day. And then people would, so he brought me on and I started doing those with him. Sorry, I saw him after a talk. I said, how do I do what you're doing? It seems awesome. And he's like, well, just help me out some, and then da da da. And he just saw that I sort of had. All right, so I think we're going to be asking you the same. Yeah. How do, how do we do what you're doing? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm confused as anybody. <laughs> um, but but I, I sort of realized, and Chick's a great guy, but he, he sort of he, he had the same shtick he would do over and over again. And I was like, oh, that's not me. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to do new stuff. So I was like, I would push him and say, like, could we develop our own methodology? Could we create, you know, and he was open to it, but he wanted me to do all the work. And then in the meantime, I just had other stuff come up. So right. I couldn't do it but um so that was yeah that was just i usually do not ha have a that's not I'm, I'm a little i know probably i seem very outgoing but like i'm actually sort of not interested in that like so going and talking actually it was with a friend this guy named ian we both were like dude this is awesome we should do this and he was like yeah we should and so he might have been the one that prompted me to go actually talk to chick and talk and and, and then we both talked and really connected and then um and uh yeah so it was a it just frizz was from that i don't know most people don't do that we don't do what just go talk to somebody oh. and say i would like to do what you're doing and then actually start helping them and for no yeah he was not paying me any money right for a while and then he saw that i was being useful and then he said hey you know what? i'm gonna do talk at dominion energy i'll do half the day you do the second half today how's that sound and they I think he paid me like a thousand bucks to do that, which is one fifteenth of what he got for doing right. it that day. And then he said, okay, you did a good job. Why don't you go do this? I'm going to get into Simmons mattress and do this in Atlanta. 
and I'll fly you down and I'll pay you seven or eight grand for the day instead. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll do that. And so that, and then we did, did that together. And then he really wanted me to take it on, like take on his practice and give me all his clients. But I was just, I just don't think this is, uh-huh. maybe I, maybe I missed the boat. Maybe that is what I should be doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's how I got to go on with that. Seems like you always put yourself around interesting people too. I, I don't know. Yeah. That was by chance or? Uh, I mean, why, yeah, why not? Yeah. Like the person from India, no, this guy. Those were completely random. Yeah. I didn't put myself, I mean, like that was kind of what I talked about with Chapin in classes. Like they were just, that was one where I was just sitting next to somebody. And do you think that's kind of what you were talking about before about like, I don't know what, the way you said it, but leaving things up to chance kind of flowing with where life takes you to a certain extent. Yeah, or like, like we call it, we call it drift, and, and it's actually from this, this thing right here, which is, a, which is an art thinking seminar, which is, essentially, this is how entrepreneurs do, they're just like, you, you just around things, and you can see, it's just sort of like, I guess I'm optimistic, I can see where almost, like, the four of us right now could start a company in the next hour if we wanted to, we could figure something out. Like, we're done to But you said, like, I, like, I, I don't <laughs> love, like, using, like, anything with, like, you know, it could be an art project or it could be an entrepreneurial project or something like we could use the things around us to be able to make something cool and different, you know? And so, um, that's, I think that attitude is definitely pervades, but then I think people see it and they're like, Oh, maybe Chip would be a guy who'd be interested in learning about this. And then, you know, next thing, I mean, like the next thing I started, I mean, like I didn't really, I mean, again, I'm not even starting most of these things. You just, I'm like the first person they talk to when they've had an idea (laughs) and that, that they want to, do something with, and I, they're just like, oh, Chip seems like a, sort of like a this kind of person. You know? right. My wife is this kind of person, which is good, because you can't do the, right. you know, this all the time. When you say that, they, like, see it. Is it just not based on how you talk and, like, what you're talking about? Like, what I just talk like this. <laughs> well, like, you said, like you said earlier, you're, like, just enough different or remarkable, you kind of said. Like, or you just know like a lot about, a li- like, yeah. know a little about, I know, I mean, I mean, again, I'm not just trying to toot my own horn. It's like I just no, know don't. a little about almost everything. So where where have you learned all this stuff? I just look. I'm looking, I mean, this is like <laughs> I gave away hundreds of books at some point. Like I, this is nothing. I mean, this is like our whole house is full of them. But there's that. But now online is sort of you know the next level of that. But it's a lot less intimate and it's a lot less um, deep. So you know, books and there are a few that I read very early on. Like um, uh, there's a book called Boy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different types of stuff. Let me see what my wife is telling me real quick. Okay. Great. Um, he's okay. Oh, sorry. He bumped his nose at school. Oh. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah, he did. That's cool. He's okay. Um, the th- I'd say three that I read that were really big was this book, Duchamp, about someone who thinks, in a comp- like, essentially created, mo- I essentially created conceptual art, which is okay. insane. That guy's just, but very quiet and not even interested almost like in all the fame he just like just did it um there's a book called um the phenomenon of man by Teilhard de chardin this french mystic monk it was a, like a very spiritual but also spiritual evolution and technology book that was like mind-blowing to me when i was going to college that was a really big one um that book boyd up there b-o-y-d you can look at it. It's about this fighter pilot named John Boyd who, okay. yeah, essentially like created a new type of warfare. So really, interesting. I mean, I really, I mean, I read a lot of war history books. Uh-huh. Edward Lutbach is strat- war strategy. That strategy book called Strategy is about 
war strategy. Do you see a lot of like parallels between Sun Tzu. war strategy and business strategy? So it's interesting. War. It actually what? has changed. Sun Tzu order war. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, oh, that's okay. also, that's the book of wars. That's also got Clausewitz in it too, which is another uh, German strategist who essentially, he reinvented strategy. He was like the next guy after uh, Sun Tzu. I mean, it really had not been updated for like a thousand years. It's sort of crazy. Yeah, the mind of war. There's just a bunch over there, right? There's like, and this is, I, I have tons. Um, it, Defeat into Victory, that one right there is an amazing book. Um, but this is, I mean, I have way more at home. These are the ones, the ones I thought were applicable to what we were doing in class sometimes. Um, war I liked because it was the most, uh, it was one of the most, um, it was when people had to, had, were forced to be creative. And to also, like, really, really understand strategy and how the world works. And so it's like, if you're a good strategos, like a, like a Greek strategy, or a Roman, like a Roman, uh, you know, general, um, the strategos, that's what they were called, which, which essentially was like a, um, you were good at, you had to be good at almost everything. Mm -hmm. You had to understand how economies work. Like, so if you think about, like, Napoleon and how Napoleon worked, how Napoleon was such a great strategist, but he was also... A really good mostly he was good with his supply chains like so he was like really really good with um understanding how far and how fast he, he's very interested he's very good at velocity he's very good at moving quickly but then not being able to break his supply chain so he was able to penetrate into enemy territory and hold it very differently than other people were right so but he had to understand how you got eggs how many horses you needed how many how much ammunition you needed like you know like all these really thought like how his he, he like actually pushed medical science really far like how you actually treat people in the battlefield and so you think about this so it was sort of like reading and thinking about these things like you had to almost like think holistically about humanity for a really shitty reason right and so that was always pretty fascinating to me and i was also like i have asthma i couldn't really go to the military it's always been a little chip on my shoulder of like you know i'm an armchair general but everybody is you know like i think i'm really smart because i'm reading about all the the battle of that was like Saul. Teddy Roosevelt's thing is that he had... so that's another good book The Rise of Teddy Roosevelt is also Theodore Roosevelt is also a very good very good book that was very inspirational as well too Just, but that was a person who had such amazing capacity for learning and capacity for everything that was like that was like wow so I think I, was, I used to read a lot of biography mm -hmm. which was very bad for um, Beethoven yeah. like all the Walter Isaacson stuff is that uh, yeah I've got a few of those yeah I haven't even read Beethoven Genius is about um about Richard Feynman, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton at home, but, um, I used to, like, have all these people I would look up to and want to be like, and I finally, I think finally I'm 44 now, I'm like, oh, I don't need to do any of that stuff, that was stupid, <laughs> um, but it were, they were really good, like, part of the cultural model of, like, we need to, we need to produce and we need to be outstanding, like, so they, these were the books I was reading to do. The Phenomenon of Man is really, that's a good one to read. I mean, essentially, he's this French mystic monk who thought that everything, he, he, like, foresaw the internet 70 or 80 years earlier. He, he called the brain, like, you know, the, the, the earth, we call it, like, the noosphere, where essentially it was, like, all these networked minds. We were creating a, a network of minds, right, that were essentially changing information. And we essentially, at some point, get so advanced which we are doing every single day. It's so highly connected. It's like this global brain that we essentially we become able to communicate with God, right? Because we'll finally be at, at, at that level of an advanced okay. state. Yeah. I don't know if I really agree with that, but it was yeah. so, he was essentially talking about complexification and how the rise of evolution essentially is leading to inevitably this connection with sort of like a higher being, which, which is super interesting to think about.
but I never like I never had anybody kind of to take like religion, technology, and science and smash it all together in a way that was super duper interesting like that. Um, yeah, War Strategy is interesting. I'd say that John Boyd, that guy, that guy completely changed the way the, the military thought about how to create new products, to create new things, um, and master strategist. He had this thing called the Patterns of Conflict, which was like a um, 12-hour presentation he would give to people about how conflict changed from essentially the very, very first conflict that ever existed to like guerrilla warfare. Um, do I like warfare? I think what we don't really realize is that humanity is very collaborative, not competitive. It's competitive and collaborative. The reason that we work, like the reason that it all works is because we collaborate. That's what trade does for the most part. But interestingly, there's a lot of people who have the view that war itself brings people closer together. Because war itself helps you, like we didn't used to know about Afghanistan as a country, right? Like it's so interestingly, like again, horrible. Interestingly, though, we like add it to now, like this whole new understanding of another culture, right? This is what some people think is like the, like, it's almost like through the conflict, you're getting stronger ties, mm -hmm. right? It's really strange. Um, uh, so that was also, so to me, marketing was all about warfare, but this was a very old school, like, uh, positioning statements. You'll learn about more of this in McIntyre, but like positioning, how you, partial people's brains it's all about broadcast media and then how you just divvy up people's brains and you own a piece of that it was like territory in germany you would own that castle and you have to defend it and that's what traditional brands have all done and then we actually have flipped that and now it's like well actually you seem to like talk to people a little bit better than that so um so i i just viewed you know it, it, war as a metaphor for business is sort of like bogus Yes, there's competition. There's like there's competition in nature, uh, but it's like not probably the best way to get things done. We don't have to do this, you know what I mean? Because that's like a very that's uh, a very um, scarcity versus abundance mentality, right? It's like, anyways. So we got off on some good stuff. Then I went to work for a soap company. I took that. They asked me to help them out with that. Branch Basics. Branch Basics. And so then, how did how did you get connected to them? I was working at a coffee shop. When were you working? So, so you were working at, you were like a barista. <laughs> I, was, I was actually running, I was running this thing called the, um, it was called the farm. Do you know where Lampo Pizza is? Wait, Downtown? I think, I think my parents are literally there right now. Okay, yeah, so that's what Lampo, um. Is it like really good? Yeah, so it's super fancy pizza. And wine and really good salads okay, and all those kinds of stuff. Yeah, I think they are there right now. Yeah. But that used to be this place called the farm, which was like a farm store and wine shop. Okay. And then I had gotten, I had gotten back from India, did this crazy thing. I was just, I was like, I just don't know what to do with myself. And I got some counseling cause I was, you know, again, I'm like thinking I'm great. And they're like, you need to go do something really useless for a while. Mm -hmm. as, who who as, told you that? Multiple people. It was sort of like a, uh, just like counselor type. And, and uh, I was like, you know, you need, and I was going through some stuff of like, you know, you'd be happy just like, like simple. Simple thing. Yeah. You'd be happy washing your dishes and what mopping floors and so it's like like through it like in this sort of like zen angle because I was not I was all amped up I was I was anxious I was not feeling great um, and uh, so I was like what's the thing that would be really embarrassing for me to do that I would never ever do <laughs> it's like go work someplace where I'm going to see people I know and show them that I was I was just the founder of a world leading company and now I've decided to start doing something. That's awesome. Totally different. Well, I don't know if it's awesome. No, I it took it some is. took some uh, 
some soul searching to do that. But so it, it, I was helping this guy. He was really trying to expand. It's like gourmet grocery. So part of it was I made coffee for people. Mm -hmm. I met my wife there. Met a lot of. It's a great way to get dates. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people there. Um, don't tell her I said. But then also the founder of Branch Basics, the company, walked in, yeah. and I made her a coffee or whatever, and she was a very uh, nice-looking lady. And then, um, and then she was like trying to sell me on. She's like, "Oh, you all shouldn't use this stuff that you got back there. You should see this soap in this company I have." And I was like, "You're doing it." I was like, "You're doing a really bad job of selling me on this right now." <laughs> And then, interestingly, she was like, so what do you, do? you know, da, da, da. I was like, I think I could help you out if you wanted me to. And then we, like, met and talked, and then she was going through the iLab at the Darden School, and then within, like, a few weeks, I Wait, was... Wait, did she go to Darden? She did not. It was when it was open. It was okay. when it was, um, they allow companies who were community companies okay. into the iLab. Because I've seen this, like, all over the internet, actually. Like, before the, before you said you were a part yeah. of it, and when you said that on the first day, I was like, oh, what? Like, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. this everywhere. Yeah, so they had started the company already, but uh, that was, like, they were sort of, like, floundering. They had done, like, three or $400,000 of business, which is great. That was not that... Um, they, I was like, you guys are on, because I have asthma, I have allergies. The stuff that they were doing was like right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, you all are changing people's lives. We need to tell everyone about this. Get off your butts. Let's go. And so I helped them in the iLab, became, they became a consultant for them, um, and, and became sort of like their VP of like strategy. This is, that's usually what I do. I'm like, v, like I'm, I'm the person that works on strategy. And what that means is very vague. <laughs> um, but usually means, you know, financing, marketing, general overview, like how are we going to take this thing and actually make it a big deal? And so they brought me in, and then um, I eventually became the CEO of that after like a year. Um, and then we ramped it up. We're, I only worked there for like 18 months. Um, that was from, in Texas? Yeah, we moved it from here to Texas, uh, raised some money again, same sort of thing, got it on its feet, did all, all the design stuff that you see we did in 2014, 2015. Um, yeah, did all that, and then, um, uh, yeah, so, anyways, that's another whole, and that was, ended up horrible, it was, too, it was terrible, it was like, the, it, had, had a, the, it was the formulation that the women were using, we never really believed was oh. a great one, and, she, and the lady who was supplying it was lying, and what it was, and, and the, the ladies who were there and working at the company would not get it tested, would not get it, I had friends who were chemical engineers, I said, can you test this for me? off the books and let's tell me what's going on. And he was like, this stuff's completely fake. They're like, you say it's in here, it's not, it's all this. I'm 1000% sure of it. Like I've run it through, you know, phosphor, yeah, yeah, electro, what is it? Uh, Spectrophotometry? Yeah, it was, yeah, thank you. The spectrometry stuff. <laughs> and it was, um, so it was just totally wrong. And it just led to a cascade of problems for years. And so they ended up having to reformulate it. I left. My wife was not, not my now wife was working there too. She left. We essentially fired everyone. We had a high staff of like twelve or thirteen people. It's growing great. We went from like four hundred grand of sales to like three million in like a year and a half. It was it was, it was just taking off. And then <clears throat> so and then I came back to Charlottesville. And then friends of mine were uh, on the board of Hacksieville, and they said, "Hey, would you like to just help?" figure out what to do with Hexevil because these kids don't know what to do with it. And then I said, sure, that sounds moderately interesting. And then I did that for three years and then I came here. <laughs> Short story, how long did you all want? 
as much as anyone's telling you. We're having a good time. I'm going to have me eat my lunch at some point. It's almost 3 o'clock. <laughs> I thought you I did eat it. <laughs> yeah, I thought you said that was the first thing you said when we walked. <laughs> I thought you did eat it. I had just gotten it. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You could have eaten it. Questions. What did you get? Auto. It's the only thing to get. Uh -huh. Auto Turkish food. High quality ingredients. Uh, you can get salad without a bunch of rice. So as I'm getting older, I have to like, you know, not eat everything. You know. So I don't get too bad. I'm a little bigger than I'd like right now. All right. So, what, so what's next? I have no idea. I'm going to paternity leave in the fall. Right. I'm constantly trying to start something. Uh, I have um, every week or so a new idea that I would like to do. Um, and I have a lot of creative projects I'd like to do. Uh, and I am sort of actually at a point in my life where I'm actually going to stop trying to do anything um, <laughs> and go in another direction and probably work on a lot more uh, creative work that has absolutely no utility whatsoever. To be able to figure out if, what I'd actually, if, if there's something else that I would like to do. But going at it from, I, I think about it, thinking is leading me nowhere. And it just actually, um, I'm, too, I'm too trapped. I have a family of uh, three, three kids soon. And I have this great job that pays me way too much money to, 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 you know, to like say no to it. So it's hard to break away and try something brand new right now. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's actually also this whole process of actually getting back to the exact thing we started off with, which is this tension of like what you should do mm -hmm. versus what you are being more authentic and working on. Um, so that's sort of what my, I'm good at a lot of things that we just talked about and oftentimes they are very exciting to me, but almost for the prestige and the accolades from other people, but not as much for like my own 100% internal motivation. Are there any of the projects that you've done that you have felt that like 100% internal motivation? I, I've done crazy, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, but it's, it's, the extrinsic motivators of money and stuff are very hard to put down. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, so it's very, like, to me, it's almost like I want to do two things at the same time and be able to either, just, I have a very restless creative mind and it I waste a lot of time doing that I, I would not I'll waste it but I, it's in here it's not coming out so it's sort of like I'd like to pull more of that out and push it out in a way that's um, I do painting I do sculpture stuff I do music and how I, you know I do lots of lots of stuff writing I, you know I entertain I literally just entertain getting a PhD in France that this guy who runs this asked me to come do a PhD in Paris and I was gonna actually go over there and, and, really? um, and for a couple months. He said I could do the first couple months in Paris and then I could do a hybrid from there on out. But I thought about that. I this, 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 this entire stack of papers are, are going to be all different research subjects that I could be working on, you know? And, and I'm just like, I can't, I, I can't actually do it right now. I need to try something else first. I need to do, uh, I'm too interested in too much stuff. So it's hard. So it's, you all might have the same problem where you're like, yeah, well, I don't I know how to focus. Because we've been yeah. talking about that a lot. Yeah. Like, we don't yeah. know. What's the, how do you say, like, I'm good. I'm doing a lot of things good, but not. I, I just feel like, yeah, I mean, this, we don't have to get into this, but like, just something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, I don't want to be doing five things at B minus level work. Yeah. I want to be doing three well, I things. I don't think you are capable of doing B minus level work. Uh, we'll, we'll see what goes on with the, uh, <laughs> the yeah. projects in this class. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, no, I, I well, I yeah, I, I hear that, but I'm also like, why do any of these things? 
And so to me, I actually have really flipped. I, I you know, I read a lot of Zen stuff or, you know, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the things in my life when I've been confused, if I let go and do nothing, the right answer will usually appear. And I will, trying hard was the wrong answer, which is weird. It's almost like the, the law of inverse cash. Uh, what's that? Attraction? No. No, it's more like no, the, the, the law of inverse effort. Mm-hmm. So, for example, with my wife, I really, really liked her from the moment I saw her. I literally saw her when I was working that job. And I, I saw her against, I was like, that's, when, that's who I'm going to marry. I was just like, sure. Which is sort of strange. And then I gave her some maple candy. And this was like, <laughs> for free. And then, I, then I became her friend for a long time. And then, and then I tried to take her on a date one time, like, months later, many months later, and I took her out to dinner, and I paid for it, and I was like, so, we should, we should do this again. She's like, what are you talking about? Are you- <laughs> that was like August 3rd, 2013, um, and uh, and uh, she was like, this wasn't a date. This we're, we're just really good friends. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and so I tried really hard. I, I've been like, I've been like courting her and bringing her all this stuff. I made smoothies and like, because we ended up in living in the same building very randomly. Like, Did you try more people candy after that? <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I was just like trying hard to like, you know, and I got really into it. I got sort of like just in my head, I like really, really oh, into it. Stopped. No, and then finally one day I was just like, you know what? I don't actually care if she likes me romantically at all. I just really like her as a person and I want her in my life. And then it was like a switch. That was like October 31st. That was like Halloween. And by... <laughs> and like... And then... And this, this was like not even a strategy. This was literally like I just gave up. Right. I just gave up. And then on my birthday, she seemed to have... She intimated that she... You know... And then within... Within, you know... A couple days later, we were dating, and like two weeks later, we decided we thought we should get married. Like it was, she we had decided we didn't do it, but I mean, like she, like it was very obvious that she was like, yeah, I think this is this is this is, you're my person. I think this could probably work out. Um, so it's but it was like when I stopped trying. Same thing happens with my kids when I stop when like, something's going on with them. It's really really bad about sleep or whatever it is. The moment we stop, really really trying really hard. It locks into place. Yeah. It happens over and over well, and over. Th- that's kind of what I've been saying about school, actually. Like, this semester, I kind of just decided, like, I'm just going to tell myself, I don't really care. And, yeah. like, it sounds stupid saying that out loud, but I, like, I kind of have to tell myself that because, like, I'm the person to put 110% effort yeah, in. And yeah. I've just I been saying, I don't care. And it's, I don't know, I've been taking the pressure off, but it's been working for something. It's been working out. <laughs> yeah. Not everything, but, um... Yeah, I don't know. I think well, it even it works in class. I don't. I, you probably don't know this. I teach. I'm teaching probably like two thirds or half as much in your version of this class. We, yeah, yeah we, we've talked about that. Yeah, and it's and that's like half of what I used to teach before. The less I teach, the better it gets. Hmm. It's and I like because it, it's a very different. Not that I'm not trying. It's not. I think about it a lot. Like why we're doing. Yeah, it, it's not doing. that you're not trying. It's more just like I'm trying to deliver it better in a way that's like more interesting to me. <laughs> and when it's more interesting to me, it's more it's interesting more, to you. Yeah. Because yeah. we feed off of you, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Uh, you know, sometimes better, sometimes worse. It, 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 so it's been, it's, so uh, what am I doing now is where, like, I literally have come up with 20 some different things I could have done the last year. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm trying to think of, like, what could I do that's 
essentially doing nothing mm -hmm. in a very interesting and creative way. And then, because I even th I've thought about this, I've got, you know, I, I, I've won like sculpture competition, like weird stuff. I don't know, like a grant from Virginia to get, do like $10,000 to do a sculpture I came up with at a school, you know, and I think about paint, I've just been learning how to paint. I got pretty good at that, pretty, I was like, oh, I could support myself and do portraits and da 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 da. I'm like, wait, wait, you're thinking, like, I'm just thinking about this all wrong. You know, it's just like, I just want to, like, what am I going to do for nothing? What am I going to do for zero? Um, and focus on that, and then you probably figure out what it is you actually should be doing. Because sort of like exactly what I say at the beginning of your class, is like, what do you really, really care about? You'll probably so that, figure the out. The Alan And I've really liked, I mean, I've also sort of come into the, come to the conclusion that, you know, I am exactly where I should be. I enjoy doing what we're doing. I enjoy helping students with their ventures and all that kind of stuff. That's really, really fun for me, but it also is sort of like this part of me. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. What Wait, should I do, Chapin? You tell me. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think we'd like to be a part of, of whatever <laughs> it is. But it's not going to be very fun or interesting for a while. Well, so, so I was just going to ask, when, when you think about, like, when, you've going, when you're going from place to place and, you know, you're in the Alps and you're deciding you want to be a doctor and all, you make all these decisions about where the trajectory of yeah. your life you think it's going when you're making those decisions are you thinking okay this is i found it and this is what it is in perpetuity or are you thinking about okay i'm gonna try this and see what yeah i think the reality is that i'm always searching for a hack that will be the silver bullet mm. and that's a problem yeah and so that's a, this is a general yeah. life problem which is like i think the next thing i'm gonna do is gonna make that that's it calm everything mm. down yeah. and all that kind of stuff and it doesn't really work that way as i've gotten a lot older i don't have the same anxiety issues I don't have the same uh, I have restlessness but it's not like really really bad but it does make me feel um, a little uh, just I think you know I, I respect people a lot you're like my father is a really great physician he he's really very well respected made great money had good, you know our family had a very nice upbringing, all this kind of stuff's great. And he seemed to be, he's like, I really love this subject. Like, I'm, I'm really, really enamored with medicine. He really, like, loved, he's still today, he's, he's retired, but he still has his license, which is great for buying drugs for your family. And then, um, uh, you know, to this day, he can still, like, it's, it's incredible. I mean, he's just, he's a very brilliant man. So he was, it, like, about, you'll bring up some, what's some random thing you've never, like, you know, spino, Thing of Philly, he'll be like, "Oh yeah, well when you have that, you have to." Yeah, like, what? How did you know that? That's nothing to do with what you're like. Nothing to do with what you're doing. He just really liked it. He loved like hand-to-hand -hand combat. Loved seeing patients. Loved doing surgery. And I'm like, man, that sounds great. And you're helping people. Like he's like the you know, the, the, the the angel in our family who can essentially help. Like if you have cancer, he can help you out. If you have this, he can help you out. Now he's from a very Western medical perspective, not so much on the like emotional, mental, well, you know, not. He's like, yeah, I'll just cut something out of you, or, you know, like we can figure this out. But it is very, it is very um, seductive for me as a person, you know, sort of like as a, as seeing the two of our lives, you know, progress. It's almost like everything I've done is almost like an opposition. Right. I'm gonna do the creative weird stuff over and over and over again and over again. Um, but I, I would love to have that thing, which mm -hmm. is the one thing where I'm just like, you just do this all the time. Um, but it's. But what happens is then, like, I thought about going to architecture school. I got into a great top five architecture school to go get a master's at. I don't know how. I don't know. It's weird. But it was like, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to do this to be like, I have all these interests in art and all this stuff. I have to I have to make money doing it, so I'm going to do it this way. 
And so that gets you away from like the reason actually that you were interested in the first place, which right. is sort of like the, um, which is the which is the modern hole that we all kind of we have to like eat yeah. and do things, but we forget that you probably can do something more interesting than that you actually are doing. It's just that you just haven't really delved deep enough into it to figure out what it is that mm -hmm. is really yeah. truly driving you, um, if anything. A lot of people aren't. A lot of students don't have that. And that's why I feel like even in all these classes, I'm like, what do you do with your life? I have no idea. Okay, great. Well, you're young. You don't have to figure that out. But you like going into comm school. Well, then you're going to have to figure it out quick because you're paying more money and all your friends are about to pressure you to do these one, two, or three things. And life is a lot bigger than that. And it's and it's sort of, I'm glad I was an archaeology major because it like, I had, it was completely useless <laughs> in a way. You know, it wasn't useless. It was super interesting. I loved, I loved, I loved buying all the extra, like I'd go, I'd, you know, here are my rings for class and I'd go buy like five extra books to read about it and read those at the same time. Like that's the sort of stuff you should be working on. Yeah. Like whatever does that to you, you know. And, um, and I've done the same about business. I've done the same about strategy. I've done the same about warfare. I've done the same about, you know, art. I mean, it's, it's so it's, it's, it's sort of just like a general yearning curiosity I think that people you know if you can create that for yourself you just gotta get it but to like, kind of like make sure you're not uh, I've been very lucky that I can pursue these things while being able to eat a lot of people have that problem where they're just like so far out on the avant-garde or whatever it is that they can't actually you know support themselves and then you get into a lot of destructive behavior but um, yeah so it's, it, I mean, I mean y'all are asking me for advice like I don't know I'm still figuring it out, too. But that's also the interesting part. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, it's, this is sort of like an event, like, you know, especially during COVID and stuff, it's like, this is an adventure. Like, are we living this? Are we doing adventurous things? Like, we're nomadic peoples who saw a lot of different, like, all like humans. Like, we didn't, we were, we did not do that. We, you know, we were not sedentary. If the weather changed, we were like, screw this, I'm out of here. This is hot. <laughs> I'm going somewhere else. You know, so it's sort of like, we, we yearn for these, these, this sort of like, uh, more physical experiences and stuff like that, but it's, we kind of get boxed in, literally, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, and so it is hard to sometimes figure out what that thing is going to be that keeps moving you around, but it is good to look around and, um, you know, experience a lot of stuff, especially at college. College is for, to change your brain, right? I mean, you probably read that in Thinking Fast and Slow, I don't even remember where that is. It's right there. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't even look at these. That's right. Uh, yes, right there. Um, but the, you know, sort of like, I mean, Daniel Kahneman, that guy, he was like, what is, your, what is college for? College is to change your mind. Whatever beliefs you had coming in, you should probably at least challenge them. And if you're not doing that, you're, you're wasting your money, is sort of thing. And so to me, I get a little bit nervous about, like, even the comp school, or you're maybe going to make it a three-year school instead of a two-year school. So you have no time to explore. Mm-hmm before you're on this track. Mm -hmm. and, it, and, just, and then what happens is a lot of people aren't as smart as you guys and gals is that you just, you know, you become fodder for these companies for people. You get fodder for these companies who are essentially are just taking advantage that you don't know what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You're smart, but you don't know what you do. So, oh, I'll give you a path. I'll give you something to do. I'll pay you a little yeah, money. Yeah, we talk a lot about that. Yeah, so it is, so that, and then you get stuck in that life and it's this hedonic mm -hmm. treadmill where you can't actually mm -hmm. off of yep. it. And it's really mm -hmm. hard to um, make change and so that, that maybe, to me, I, I guess I've been willing maybe to, to, to just, I'm just going to live on no money or I'm going to try something different just because it's different and interesting and weird, which is really hard to do. Uh, but at your all's age, this is the perfect time to try yeah, to watch that. That's what we want to do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So uh, you talked about like the dichotomy between what your dad had, which was 
one thing that really spoke to him yeah. and, and what you have, which is a ton of things that speak to you and you're trying to yeah. capture all those. What percentage of people do you think fall into oh, either of those camps? I mean, most, I, I, uh, I think everybody probably, if they deep down searched, they would all be interested in a lot of things. I mean, think about that. From I think the, people just don't want to admit it. Yeah, well, you like, can't. Like Societally, you can't do yeah, it. You can't. I mean, you've got all these pride and pressures and money and all this. I mean, for the history of humanity, if you look at the history of being, you know, humanity for being, uh, you know, an hour long, all but six minutes of the last six minutes is going to be in hunter-gatherer tribes where we all were extremely communal, not competitive. With, I mean, we're competitive with each other for mates or something, but not like this global um, sort of like work that we have. So also that what that meant is you would learn everything. Everyone knew everything. Right. I mean, you know, you know, medicine, you would know, you would know how to hunt, you would know how to get water, you know, how the, all the, you know, how the, how all the spiritual stuff went to your tribe, you know, how did all the, it's, so we all are interested in all these things. It's just, you keep collapsing it over time. You have to narrow your focus because it's just sort of like what we have to do, unfortunately, usually, right. but I'm trying not to do that, but it is hard. Right. I mean, I mean, it seems like from my perspective, what you've done is more natural in that sense. Cause like what. Uh, you've all know Harari talks about in Sapiens yeah. is that the what separates humans from animals is our ability to tell and believe in and right. create stories. And that's the same thing as taking, you know, the bell curve and the war documentaries and the Finches yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And like, that's the storytelling that, you know, maybe we're meant to. Yeah. we. Do. I think storytelling is a little overblown now. Cause I feel like it is like everybody says everything is telling stories mm-hmm. and I, now it's just a marketing pitch. Right. Like, like what I mean is the, the yeah. disparate connections between fields is that that's like the patchwork storytelling that I think he's talking about now. I think it's, well, I think, there, yeah, I mean, that's what like this is, it's like used to be oral history. Yeah. Now it's documented. Yeah. Now. So I'll just chat GPT. So we don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I have a, a, a strong, comment on that it's more just like the the it's like that we all used to be good at a lot of things yeah and because like where we are we're like oh i'm just gonna do this one thing that's like what you see it like i'm a this it's like the lego movie you ever see the lego movie yeah well i'm a builder whatever that guy is i'm a you know each person just has a thing it's funny that you say that because it always drives me crazy when someone is like i'm a blank major like i'm a history major like that that's their entire personality saying that it's easy and we also mean we have occam's it's sort of like we are, our brains have a very, like, back to this too, is, you know, our brains are extremely efficient. They want to be as efficient as possible and remove as many external, yeah. Ex- so we're, that's really, really helpful for our minds, but it's just, we don't have, we're not put in the same places. We don't have to struggle for these things for the most part. Now, if all the power grid goes out, we're all going to figure all this out again, you know, but it is like a, um, yeah, we don't have, yeah, it's almost like a, you have to hamstr- hamstring yourself. To, this is why people always like leave and go do crazy treks or go do reli- join a religious sect or something like that. Like I have to get rid of all my possessions to like push myself to be more interesting and connected. Which there's some, you know, it's, it is it is an interesting path. But uh, I don't think I'd rather start a cult than join one. I think. <laughs> be, is that what this is? It's what this is. <laughs> you're, you're, I, I'm gonna need some money. <laughs> uh, to start no. Uh, Dulling is a really amazing arc to put all this in. No, uh, <laughs> so, uh, hold on one second, my wife. No problem. Hello. Hey. Hey, what's up?